Can the appearance of an old universe be deceptive? Is measurement of time the same thing as time itself? Am I pronouncing Amphalos hypothesis correctly? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. This week's episode is kindly sponsored by the Flat Earth Society. Now, in this week's episode, we are going to be picking off where from where we left off in last week's episode, where we concluded that there's absolutely no way to take the verses of Beratius, of Genesis, in fact, any verses in the Torah, not literally, except for the four following reasons. Either we have a strong tradition that lets us know to take it not literally, or we have a contradiction in verses where by taking one of the verses not literally, we can resolve that contradiction. And generally there, it's also following a midrashic explanation of how to resolve the contradiction. A third category is where it's logically impossible, such as suggesting that God is physical. And a fourth category would be something that goes against our very eyes. Now, we explained in length in last episode how the scientific evidence for a universe that's 13.8 billion years old it does not fit under any of those four categories as reasons to reinterpret the verses, assuming we have some other way to explain the evidence. As long as we have any way to explain the facts on the ground, one is not allowed to take the verse not literally, no matter how far-fetched that explanation is, as long as it is not proven logically or directly contradicting the senses to suggest so. So in this episode, we are going to be providing two alternative explanations how to reconcile the scientific evidence with maintaining the absolute literacy or literalicy, literalness of the verses in Beratius. And we are going to be doing so by each representing one of the answers while the other host attacks that answer and brings up all the counter arguments that one might hear. And again, if you didn't hear the counter argument that you like, you can always send it in and we'll speak it out on a mailbag or include it in an episode. So Mati will be presenting his idea first. And just by the way, these are actually ideas that we personally like. So I will be representing the idea that I personally think is the best. And Mati will be representing the idea that he personally thinks is the best. And the other will attack as he sees fit. So Mati will introduce his idea first. So my favorite way of answering up the science versus the verses is called the Amphalos Hypothesis. That name actually comes from a book that was written by Philip Henry Goss in 1857. We argued that in order for the world to be functional, which was the point of creating the world, it would have had to have been created um, in a kind of perfected or finalized state. Now, that includes mountains and rivers and and sunlight and uh, the different luminaries and all such things, which were created fully formed. Now, according to this, if you had a scientist come, let's say, on you know day five after the six days of creation, and he looks at the world and he goes, you know, I know that trees every year, they grow a ring, right? So I'm going to look at one of these trees and see how, figure out how old the universe is. Now, you don't need fancy scientific anything. Even if he just looks at a tree, he's like, I know it takes a tree, let's say, two years to grow. Now, I'm looking at a tree right here. The world must be at least two years old. And from a scientific perspective, he's 100% accurate. But from an actual, from the actual reality, the world is only two days old. And what he saw did not contradict the fact that the world was created fully formed. Now, this idea you may have heard, in, at least in Jewish circles, presented as uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's idea. So this comes from a letter that he wrote to a scientist, where he actually presents two different ways of dealing with the contradiction between the science and the verses. The first way is basically that it's impossible to exclude a possibility that the science is getting it incorrect. 
because the science, again, as we pointed out in the last episode, the science is working based on a few assumptions of, of kind of steady conditions, which we know, we know for a fact from, at least from a terror perspective, this is not true. We had different events in history, which would have caused, you know, huge disruptions in the natural order of things. Such uh, as the flood or the, or even the six days of creation, our tradition is that it was not, nature was not set till the end of the sixth day. Right. And therefore it's, not impossible that the science is getting it wrong. His second one, and I'm going to read from his letter right now. Even assuming that the period of time which the Torah allows for the age of the world is definitely too short for fossilization. Fossilization was kind of the big question on, on the verses. We can still readily accept the possibility that Hashem created ready fossils, bones, or skeletons for reasons best known to him, just as he could create ready living organisms, a complete man, and such ready products as oil, coal, or diamonds without any evolutionary process. Now, as for the question, if it be true as above, why did Hashem have to create fossils in the first place? The answer is simple. We cannot know the reason why Hashem chose this manner of creation in preference to another, and whatever theory of creation is accepted, the question will remain unanswered. We're going to go more into depth into this, uh, this paragraph later on. The question why create a fossil is no more valid than the question why create an atom. Certainly such a question cannot serve as a sound argument, much less as a logical basis for the evolutionary theory. And much, much less as a reason to reinterpret Psukim. Now, yeah. lest one think that the, the Rebbe, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a Hasidic Rav. Uh, you know, maybe he knows a bit of science, but he's, he's on the less, uh, quote-unquote, rational side of things. As we know that, um, you know, Jews are broken up into the, their rational and irrational camps. So a Hasidic rabbi would probably be in the irrational camp. So let's let's turn to the most famous of rationalists, the Rambam, and see what he has to say. So in the second Chelek in chapter 25, and this is a direct quote from Marnevuchim, Just as he created the world according to his will at a certain time in a certain form, and as we do not understand why his will or his wisdom decided upon that particular form and upon that particular time, so too, we don't understand his will and wisdom in regard to other things, whatever. But that quote seems eerily similar to what the Rebbe said. Now, this idea that the world was created fully formed is not just, first of all, it's important to point out that it's not an apologetic answer. Okay, the Rebbe did, did come after the science. You can say maybe the Rebbe's answer, oh, if you don't like it, you could say maybe it sounds apologetic. We're going to go into how it's completely not apologetic either way. But we have sources, again, the Raman Mornavuchim was way before the science suggested an uh, older universe based on based on like particular acts of science. Again, we right. saw the eternal universe, but it wasn't like this kind of question that we're dealing with now. But it goes back even further than the Rambam. We can already see in the times of the Gemara. So this is a Gemara from Chulin, right? Sama Hamad Aleph, where it says that Kol Sabratius became Masan Nivru. All of creation was became Masan was in their like full form. And Rashi explains on the Gemara over there that fully formed means it's in reference to a certain ox that was born fully formed with its horns already out. Even though it was created yesterday, it looked like it was a 20-year-old, you know, bull, fully fully ready to go. The Gemara and Rashi repeats this idea that everything was created fully formed. Um, and Rashi over there explains that, you know, the trees already were giving fruits, which is already, Rashi knows that it takes time for fruits to come out. And yet the Gemara is saying that on day one, there's already fruits coming out, which means from a scientific perspective, Rashi's facing the same question we're facing today. We think the world looks older than it is based on a science. Rashi had enough science to know that the world looks old with this tree. Right. I mean, if a scientist, just to flush out what you're saying, if a scientist shows up as soon as the tree is created and you ask him, hey, how old is the universe at least? He would say, well, if in order for a tree to grow fruit, it has to be, let's say, two years, three years, right? So if it's two, three years old and the tree's already growing fruit, the world has to at least be two, three years old. He would be incorrect. The world's only a day old in this tradition. So Rashi understood that. 
Yet Rashi said, when the Pasuk said there's a tree there, it meant a one-day-old tree that looks 20 years old. Now, something being one day old yet looking 20 year, years old, or t- uh, sorry, being uh, looking two years old is no different than something being five days old and looking billions of years old. The point is, it looks a lot older than it is. The two great pillars of rationale, the Rabagan and the Rambam, again, Marnevuchim, also express this idea. They, they, uh, the Rambam actually quotes this Gemara of Kol Maisabrashas that all of Maisabrashas was created fully formed. And he says, this means to say that everything was cre- created in its complete and perfect form. Right, the Bag says that, that Adam, when he was born, was a 20-year-old man. We know the, the Gemara says that Adam gave birth, sorry, Adam conceived, or Chava gave birth uh, to Kain to, uh, Behevel on day one. Now, they knew already in times of Gemara, scientifically, it took longer than a day to conceive and give birth, yet it occurred. So if you showed up, so not only, not only were they a day old and already procreating, the, peop, the people that were born from them were born within a day, which again is a sped up pregnancy process. So if you showed up after they were born, you would say, well, Chava, not only does she have to be old enough to hit puberty to have a kid, she also has to be nine months older than that in order to give birth to that kid. Yet it would all be one day and you'd be way off in your measurement. Right. Okay. So that's, that's basically the argument that I like to take. The world was created fully formed. Therefore, even though the science is 100% correct that the world looks older than it is, science cannot say how old something actually is. It can only say how old something looks or how old naturally it would be if it came out naturally. But if it was created fully formed, science immediately has to take a, a, you know, a step backwards and say, look, this isn't our jurisdiction. I can only tell you natural things. Creation is not a natural process. I'm out of this. So how would you flesh that out? So in terms of the rules of interpreting Sukkim, so, so what would you say? In terms of those four categories, why does this not fit under one of those categories? Okay, so there's no contradiction. That's obvious. There's no tradition. We already went through this. Logical problem. If you listen to the last episode, there's clearly no logical problem. And the Muhash problem, seeing something, there's nothing that I see which suggests that it couldn't have been created fully formed. Right. It's not contradiction to my eyes to say that it was created fully formed because my eyes only tell me that it's measured this old. But it doesn't tell me when in the process Hashem created. Did Hashem create a fully born tree, a fully grown tree? Did Hashem create a sapling that grew into a tree? Now you have to remember, even if Hashem created a sapling, that's still longer than, older than it is. Because saplings also take some time to develop. So at any point where Hashem created something from nothing, it's going to be a little bit older than it would naturally. Because it's going from zero to something. So in terms of that, there's no way the eyes are contradicting that. My eyes never saw it go through a process. So I don't know if, if it was created fully formed or not. And the fact that I don't like that answer or it doesn't seem so rational is obviously not a reason to reinterpret the Pesukim. Like we said, it doesn't fit into any of the four categories. So now comes the fun part of the episode where I get to take my hacks at Mati's answer. This is not my favorite answer. Uh, I have a different answer, which I'll then go through as soon as I finish with his answer. But at the same time, I do buy his answer. Um, I just don't like it. But here's some of the reasons why other people wouldn't like it. And some of the reasons why I personally don't like it. So the first question that people have, and this is if you just Google um, the Umphalus hypothesis and see what people respond. So it's something called last Thursdayism, which is the, the following complaint. If one is to contend that Hashem could create a fully formed world that already went through processes that last billions of years, and yet he created it way later fully formed, then why couldn't he have created everything last Thursday 
including my memories of all of existence prior to that. And really, everything that he created, including our memories, our experiences, our history, all was created last Thursday. And therefore, if I'm going to say the world was created 6,000 years ago as an old world, maybe I would say it's created five days ago. Right. So this is a question I've heard um, kind of often when I present this. They're like, oh, once we're saying it's created old, why can't it be, you know, five days old? So uh, the basic reason why you wouldn't say that is because of Sukkim don't say that. In right. other words, we have a reason to not say that. Now, just to flesh this out, there's nothing technically illogical about saying the whole world is created last Thursday. You're right. There's nothing illogical about that. In the similar, there's another, you know, um, philosophical And I also thought. have no evidence against that either. Right. There's another philosophical thought. Uh, thought. What's it called when you do like a thought experiment where it's um, what if you're just a brain in a vat? We're all just brains in a vat and everything we're seeing now, our bodies, all our feelings are all just our brain kind of imagining that happening and actually we're in a vat. But yeah, it, it's possible. There's just no reason to assume it. And I'm going to be living my life the same way either way. So yeah, there's nothing technically wrong with that. There's just no reason to assume it. Now, there is a big difference in terms of my assumption between saying the world is 6,000 years old and was created and saying it was born last Thursday which is not a logical difference, but it is a rational difference, and I'll explain in a minute. If I say the world was created last Thursday, that means that my memories and my experiences are contradicted by this theory. Not not contradicted in terms of this theory doesn't allow for those things, but it, it is saying that what I think happened didn't happen. <laughs> if I say rocks fly, right? Yeah. Um, so we pointed out last episode that there's a, dis- a distinction between if the Torah tells me a rock is flying in front of my face, in which case we held that Rif Sadigon is saying that you're allowed to reinterpret that Pusuk, versus if it says there is a rock flying somewhere. Well, even though that denies my experience of rocks, it doesn't, it, it's not directly denying an experience that I'm having or that I have had. Because I've never experienced every single rock not flying. I experienced a lot of rocks and none of them fly, but I haven't experienced every rock not flying. So in this case also, for me to say that the world was created six days ago is denying my actual experience. While to say it was created 6,000 years ago is not denying any experience. The, but again, the, the more important reason why you're not going to say this is, just to give an example, um, if I found a random book, a random book, and it said that the world was created, you know, 10,000 years ago. So I would say, why would I go and assume that over it was created when I see it and deny, you know, even though it's not denying my experience, why would I say one over the other? And I'm going to be living my life the same way. And there's, because in my experience, things that I've seen be a certain age, I've run, would I'd have to be denying my experience to say they're not a certain age. So I wouldn't hold to that book. But to assume the Torah is just some book, which is describing some, some random theory and not Hashem telling us when he created the world is a huge mistake, and that's the the only reason people have this question of last Thursdayism is because implicitly they're treating the Torah as just a, another book presenting a theory. And then it's like, well, you're saying this, but this is saying that, so why would I say one over the other? But right, the, la, last Thursdayism is really just a why would I say one thing over the other. It's right. not like more likely one way or the other. The approach of a believing Jew should be that Torah is correct. The verses should be taken literally unless you have an absolute need to not. So if you're going with that approach then if I don't need to interpret it as 14 billion years, I'm not going to. There's no verses telling me to interpret that last Thursday was the beginning of the universe. So that's why I'm not going to consider that. But to compare that to what the Torah told me means you don't actually believe in the Torah. You're just viewing everything as what's the most likely. Nothing's axiomatic. The Torah is not axiomatic. What's the most likely? And in a vacuum, I'd pick science. That's clearly not the Torah approach. So that was well answered, Mati. But I got another question for you. Some people argue that any theory that's not falsifiable is not a good theory. This theory is not falsifiable because I can't 
there's no way I could prove to you it wasn't created fully formed. So then maybe your theory is not good. I have a hard time saying these things. I mean, even though they're, these are things that people say in response, they're just, they're stupid. <laughs> it's just, it's so not good and I have such a hard time selling it, but I'm really I, I trying to, to sell these ideas. I hate to say it, but it's only the really low IQ people <laughs> <laughs> who ask these kind of questions. So unfalsifiable. Um, yeah, so in science, the reason unfalsifiable is a not, we don't like to say those things in science is because most theories in science, which uh, the scientific you know process is based on empirical evidence, almost every single scientific theory that you'll come up with, which is based on empiricity, is going to be falsifiable. So falsifiable is almost like a, a second half of the empirical evidence. In other words, if you can kind of prove it, you can also disprove it. If you can't disprove it, you generally can't prove it. And if you can't prove it, why would I accept it more than something I probably could prove? Because most things in science are provable because they're empirical. When the Torah is telling us something, that is evidence enough. I don't need to prove that the Torah is correct in order to hold of it. Science, I need to prove in order to hold of it. Why would I hold of something if I don't prove it? But the Torah, if your approach to Torah is, if I don't prove what the Torah said is true, then I'm not going to hold of it. As opposed to, unless I can disprove it, I'm going to hold of it. Then again, you have the wrong approach to Torah. Right, we're not, again, this podcast is not aimed, and these arguments are not aimed at people who don't believe in Torah. They're aimed at a specific section of people who claim that I can believe in Torah yet take the verses not literally and believe in science. So we came to prove that that's not allowed. And as long as there's another ways to interpret it, you have to take it literally. And we never thought that we'd be proving Tyre's veracity by saying that the world is created fully formed. All we were saying is, it's just not a reason to take the verses not literally because I can say the world was created fully formed. And another point, um, in terms of a Tyre idea, and this is like kind of the same in halacha, right? So... If I give a halakhic theory, then you you can disprove it by showing how, you know, we have sources which contradict it. I'm giving you a Torah theory. The way to disprove it or falsify it, again, it wouldn't falsify the actual theory, but it would falsify that this is the Torah's theory, is you can show me how Torah doesn't say it. But as we've shown, not only does the tradition say it, the psukim themselves, when it says Hashem created a sun in order to illuminate for the, for the earth, implicit in that is that the light rays, even though scientifically it might take you know, hundreds or thousands or millions of years for the light to reach Earth, Hashem obviously must have created it with the light reaching Earth because otherwise there's no point in creating a star for Earth unless he wanted to, you know, for some reason have it wait a million years till it naturally reached us as opposed to creating it, reaching us, which I don't know how it's more created and then waited a million years yeah. or 50 billion years in order to reach us. No, Hashem had, he just created it. Hashem had to plan ahead. He's like, hmm, really want to create Adam. How long is it going to take the star to get there? Uh, billions of years. Okay, we'll return to this project. Let's just get it in motion. Yeah, it's just I, I don't I don't understand that. Oh, come on. Can you imagine waiting for the evolutionary process? <laughs> like, well, that darn organism just grow. That's why I really like the uh, what's it called the um, the old Earth creationists, where they go, yeah, no, Hashem created billions of years ago, but he needed to nudge it along. You know, he didn't create it. He didn't create it that well. He had to nudge it along a little bit. You know, a little push here, push here. Humans weren't developing fast enough, so you had to give him a little push. Can you imagine when the first first human ended up being a monkey instead? <laughs> going the wrong way without indulging. Like, oh, one generation well, monkey. Can't give the tyrant Two there. generations. Still a monkey. Three generations. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's move on to the next question. Um, and th- this is the only question that I think is slightly good. It's not good, but it's slightly good, um, which is that it seems a little dishonest from Hashem, right? Is he trying to trick us? Right? So, like, he made a world look old, so why wouldn't I assume it's old? If you wanted to make it look new, make it look new. Now, just by the way, I want to preface... From this question, I don't know what look new means because in our world of natural processes, something looking new means it's not going to function. Adam born a baby can't do what Hashem wanted him to do on day one. He couldn't take care of the garden 
whenever he was born if he was a baby. Trees could not be eaten from if they were saplings. So I'm not sure why the assumption is God should create a world that looks new. But what would you say to that if some some people say, what well, is God tricking us? Why would God want to trick us? If he's tricking us in this, maybe he's tri- tricking us in the Tyra, you know? Right. So there's two two kind of assumptions in that question. First, that God wouldn't trick us, which seems like a, uh, a safe assumption, but we're going to see. And the second one is that this is a trick. Saying that the Earth is five seven eight one is a trick because the science now suggests it's thirteen point eight billion. So first of all, just just from a just just think about it for like half a second. I'm not sure how this question even gets off the ground. If you think about it for a second, the theory that the world is thirteen point eight billion years old is approximately a hundred years old. For the hundred years before that, they thought it was a hundred million years old. They thought it was a couple of billion. They thought it was fifty million. It kept on changing. Okay. Now the reason this is important is because to say that Hashem is dishonest by telling us that the world was created five seven eight one is to assume. That for some reason, what would have been better is if God, let's pretend 13.8 is the actual number, right? Let's pretend science finally got it right, even though they've been wrong every single time till now. Let's right. pretend they got it right this time. So what should the Torah have said? It should have said the world is 13.8 billion years old. Right. Now, would anybody who reading the Torah... It would Tara, have been a long, long first paracabracious, by the way. <laughs> right. But let, let's, let's pretend it's correct and let's, let's pretend that, you know, everything embracious is whatever. Um, no, let's pretend that the Torah actually told us because we don't want God to trick us. So Shem right. says the world was created 13.8 billion years ago. Now, for the first, well many years of creation, but let's say from, from man for until the 1800s, everybody would be saying, well, first of all, everybody would be saying, what do you mean? The universe is eternal. How are you tricking us? The universe is eternal. Cause that's what scientific consensus Or is. eventually would say, no, it's only 5,000 years then, old. Right. Then the science would come along in the 1800s and say, what do you mean? It's a hundred million we, years we old. We just learned about the big bang. It's 50 million years old. Then t- th- there, God's tricking us again. So God's been tricking us for the entire history. The big bang the 1800s. was the 1950s, not the 1900s. Oh, come on. Well, I think they, they dropped off the eternal universe yeah, sometime yeah, in the 1800s. Yeah. Then, okay, so then God's tricking us because he said 13.8 and it's eternal. Okay? That's that's the first trick that God did. Then God did another trick because then the science pointed to the fact that the universe is 100 million years old. Oh, God's tricking us there also because he said 13.8 and it's actually 100 million. Then God's tricking us because it's 200 million. You see where I'm going with this? Finally, God stopped tricking us 80 years ago. So it how does that make any sense? Was Hashem was tricking us this entire time? Now let's take what actually happened. So Hashem said the world was created 5781. And now to say that Hashem created a fully formed world, they're saying, oh, you're saying God's tricking us. N- no, God never said the world was 13.8 billion years. Hashem said the world is 5781. He's not tricking anybody. He said, I created a fully formed world and I created it in six days and I created 5,781 years ago. Science is coming and saying, no, you're wrong. It's 13.8 billion years. Therefore, God must be tricking us. Well, maybe God's not tricking us. He told us exactly how old it is, which is what I believe. I don't believe God's tricking us. I think Hashem's number has stayed consistent for the past 5,781 years. Hashem told us exactly how he created the world fully formed. He told us exactly when he created it, 5,781 years ago. And I still hold that. The only people who hold God's actually tricking them, or the only people who God is actually tricking, would be if you hold that the world is not the age that the Torah tells us. How could you say that the Torah telling us age is tricking us because of the science when I'm clearly saying the science is not accurately describing the reality because the Torah is the reality. If I say Torah is reality, then God's tricking us. But if I say Torah is not the reality, then God's not tricking us. The Torah is what God's telling us. Yeah, it would be like if somebody, um, well, let's say let's say somebody came home, right? Uh, my kid came home, and I told him that uh, that we're having we're having spaghetti and, and meatballs for supper. And he looks in the kitchen and he sees all sorts of evidence that we're having uh, pizza for supper, right? He sees the dough, he sees the cheese, he sees the sauce. And he says, no, you're having pizza for supper. And I said, no, no, I'm telling you we're having spaghetti and meatballs for supper. Don't worry. What you're seeing is a party we're planning for a week from now, but you're having spaghetti and meatballs for supper. It would obviously be silly to say I'm tricking him 
by putting out the pizza and the spaghetti and, and, and the, and the sauce and the cheese because I'm telling him, don't worry, it's spaghetti and meatballs. I'm not tricking you. That's the reality. To assume Hashem is tricking us is to assume that it's not the reality that it is 5,781 years old. Right. To say it in a sentence, the only way you'd say Hashem is tricking us is if you don't believe the words he's telling you, which is blatantly absurd. Patently absurd? Both. Okay. Um, and then the other assumption, okay? The other assumption was that Hashem would never trick us. Uh, that doesn't seem to be true. Um, obviously, you know, most things Hashem does is not tricking us, but to say that Hashem would never trick us is not true. Right, the Pasuk says, Maishu Rabbeinu has to write in the Pasuk, Nasa Adam, we're going to make man, but Talmenu can move saying There's Hashem talking, he says, in our Tzalem, in our form. And so Maishu Rabbeinu says to Hashem, like, well, what are you doing saying our as if you're plural? That That's going to imply that there's multiple gods and you're going to be tricking people. So Medrash explains, he says, Hashem said back to him, write it, and whoever wants to, to trick himself or to, to make a mistake, he'll make a mistake. And this is very apropos because generally the people advocating the arguments for an old universe are looking it up and reading the science in order to say the first six days are not literal. It's not like they really want to believe the first six days are literal and happen to find science. Right, and the basic proof for this is that if you look at the demographic of people who hold that the first six days are not literal, they're generally going to be on the less, less firm side, less religious side of things. Uh, okay, and then we have another, we have a Gemara in Avayda Zara, which says that it's talking about non-Jews... Uh, praying right and it says that a lot of times Hashem will answer their prayers specifically so that the Jews will think that maybe what they're doing is working and it might trick them there's also the famous Rambam in Hilchus Nevu where he asks why is it that Hashem allows false prophets to have signs and wonders and convince the Jews that he's a prophet and Hashem says it's to test us to make sure that we only hold of the one true God and the, and the the true prophets so again it's another example of Hashem setting up a test a trick Right, that's a good point, that a trick and a test are really, you know, kind of interchangeable. interchangeable. It's just one has a negative connotation. He's tricking us. Maybe he's testing us. Again, my argument is not. I just want want to emphasize, because a lot of people, once they hear trick, they get get thrown off. I don't really care. This is just one way to look at it, that maybe Hashem would trick us. I don't think Hashem's tricking us. I think that everything he does is not a trick at all. He told us exactly what he did. He's trying to be upfront. It's hard to say he's tricking us. He told us. It's a terrible trick if he's telling us he created in six days. and He's like, oh, he's tricking us, because he really, yeah. Yeah, Okay, so the last question... Um, is that, okay, so it makes sense why he would create oceans already there and mountains and maybe the sun with the light already reaching us because you need light on Earth. But what about the fossils, right? So fossils are, are dead animals. There's generations and layers of fossils. Clearly, many generations of fossils that have passed, many generations of animals who lived. And if you're saying the world was 5,781 years created brand new, then you're saying that those animals never really lived. Right, right, right. So what, what would be the purpose of that? Why would God put those things in? Right. So we mentioned uh, already from the Rebbe and from Martin Buchan, we were not going to understand the purpose for everything. Right. Now, that that's obvious. That, that's even without these complicated scientific evolution questions. There's a lot of things we're not going to understand the purpose for. I don't understand the purpose for every single grain, uh, you know, thing of grass. I don't understand the purpose of all the fish in the sea, which we're never going to see. I don't understand the purpose for all the stars. Even if you say that, like, the stars are for us, I don't understand the purpose for all the stars, all the galaxies. These kind of questions are the questions you can ask on anything. As the rabbi who was, you know, in, in, the, in the postmodern era. Um, or the modern era, in the post-scientific era, where he was already saying, I don't know the purpose for all the atoms, you know? They didn't under, They didn't know atoms existed for thousands of years and life was going perfectly fine. I don't know the purpose of atoms. Um, to say that there's no purpose, though, is very different than saying I don't know the purpose. To suggest that there's no purpose for fossils uh, seems to be a jump which is not 
shouldn't be made because I have no idea if there's purpose. I, I gave an example to my friend the other day. Um, let's say gas, right? There's a lot of, you know, oil in the Middle East. So for, you know, thousands of years, they had no idea what the purpose of that was, which is right. why, you know, our sister was, you know, which doesn't have any oil. They thought it was like the great land because it had water and it was able to grow things. But, you know, it didn't have any oil, but we didn't understand the purpose for oil. There was no purpose for oil until now. But now it's all of a sudden we realize the purpose to suggest that we're not going to find purpose for things, which you don't have purpose for, I think is a bit ridiculous. Now, just in terms of fossils, um, one purpose that could be suggested is that it's in order that some people could be tested. Like we mentioned from the Medrash and the, and the, and the Gemara is that Hashem sometimes will put things there to trick us. But even if you, even if you don't want to say that, to suggest that there's not going to be a purpose for fossils, you know, in, uh, for different uh, fuel sources. Well, the or study, even... study of, of biology, macrobiology right. That's is, what I was is based on fossils. Right. And who says that information won't be useful uh, in a different forum today? Right. And uh, another important point to point out is that the question is not just on somebody who happens to hold of this theory. The question would be on anybody because it's a fundamental, not a fundamental, it's it's pretty open in our tradition, and most religious thinkers would hold this, or do hold this, that the world was created for man. It was created for a person. Now, we know that, let's say, the dinosaurs, according to the scientific theory, dinosaurs were around before men. So what is the purpose of dinosaurs for men? Well, the only evidence we have of dinosaurs now is these fossils, which means that the only thing which could possibly have purpose for man is these fossils. Not only, and not only that, but very recently, meaning fossils had zero impact on anybody's life prior to their discovery today so even if you don't hold the world is created fully formed you hold it was done through evolution or, or through slow creation what would be the purpose of fossils up until 150 200 years ago when they started discovering fossils or 300 years ago All right so this is it's a very nuanced point so you just have to ask yourself anytime you're about to ask a young earth person what is why did hashem create this well you know why did hashem create that ask yourself well why did hashem keep that around i don't care if it's from two million years ago and it's sticking around or hashem created it just now both of those have to have a purpose for man so if i have to answer what what the purpose is for man then you have to answer what the purpose is and for once man. you answer what the purpose is then i could just say okay so instead of waiting two million years i'm just put it there right because it's obviously useful that's also the funny thing is like people are not thinking like think creation of the universe to make a world where man can serve god so whatever you want to put in that world whatever you think is useful in that world why does god have to wait for it to naturally happen why can he create the scenario what good are fossils for a human Whatever you answer to that, why does God have to wait for that to happen naturally? He's trying to create a scenario. He's trying to create a world where man can serve him. Why can't he create that world in whatever manner and scenario he wants, including whatever forum he thinks that man would be best best to serve him? And, and how could we say absolutely, categorically, there's absolutely no purpose in any of these things? And just in case you're not fully convinced by this still, uh, there's just one last way to look at it. Um, Let's say that Hashem, well, we know this, Hashem does not like doing miracles unless it's kind of, you know, necessary for something. And he wants, even when he does miracles, uh, you'll find this throughout all the Rishonim, the, the miracles that he likes doing are the ones that can be kind of masked by nature. So creation of the world is obviously a miracle. Now he wants, now according to the theory, he wants to mask it in nature. So now, if he was going to create animals, you know, that looks miraculous. What if he created a fake history of evolution and said, no, no, no. Yeah, it's a miracle. I did create it, but it can be explained. Even if it wasn't a miracle, it could be explained through this evolutionary process. Now, it is a miracle, but it's masked by this evolutionary process. In order to have this evolutionary process there for us to kind of mass a miracle, it needed these fossils there. Um, we'll take also the stars, the light from exploded stars. Yes, you could have made it without any stars exploding and the light just starting right on Earth so it didn't have to travel any time period. 
But then again, then it would be clear that there's been a creation something from nothing. Let's pretend he didn't want to make it clear that there's a creation something from nothing. Then he would have to create the framework, frame, framework for all of these things to occur and look natural. Again, this isn't tricking us. Well, actually, it might be tricking us because, again, again God generally does not like it being obvious to humanity that he created the world because it would be very hard to have free choice to rebel against right, That's a trick in the same way that any masked miracle is right. a trick. You know, the whole Purim story, oh, that's a that's a trick. He was doing a miracle and he put it right. as if it happened naturally. That's tricking us. Or also, yeah. the whole tire is a trick. Uh, why didn't you come down and tell me that he did it? The fact that he didn't tell me and I have to believe it from Moses and, and now there's Bible critics, you know, right, that say right. the tire was written by man. So that's also a trick. <laughs> right. You know, ain't love herself, we say. You know, there's no end to that. Every little suffolk every little doubt in faith could be construed as a trick because god created the world where doubts could arise and he created conflicting evidence and conflicting thoughts that's not and it might be a trick but that's clearly part of the design right so that, those are the questions that that i found in my extensive research into this on phalos hypothesis those were the questions um there's one other one which is occam's razor which i'm not even gonna get, get into it's just not it's silly it's, it's <laughs> yeah it, it's also covered by the answers to the other questions uh, so that's that's basically the theory that I, I hold of and that I generally use to answer up this question. So here's my favorite theory. Y'all ready for this? You got to pay attention because it's a little complicated. Okay. There's two things in the world. There's a lot more than two things. Two things I want you to focus on right now. There's time and the measurement of time. Now, what do I mean? You're already blown away. What's the difference between time and the measurement of time? Well, it's very simple. Let's take the day. So there's two ways a man can measure a day nowadays. One is by the Earth's rotation, which would look like the sun going around the Earth. And that's a way to measure it, right? When the sun rises, sets, and then comes back up again, that was your 24-hour day. And you can measure it that way. That's how people used to measure time. But there's another way to measure 24 hours, which is a clock, right? Everybody has a watch, and it ticks, and the thing goes around perfectly in 12 hours. When it does it twice, that's 24 hours. So that's another way to measure it. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say I take my watch. And you know that thing where you can pull the little little thing out and twist it and get the hand moving quickly? Something to do in class when you're bored? So if you do that and spin that thing around, and it goes around twice. So what generally takes 24 hours, and you've been using to measure 24 hours, occurred, right? It has spun around twice. Yet nobody in their right mind would say that that to 24 hours has elapsed. Why? Because merely the measurement for 24 hours has occurred, but not the passage of time itself. Let's take the sun also. Back to the same example. Let's say man has his watch, and his watch is running fine. So it's going to take 24 hours for that thing to go around, the hand to go around two times. Let's say God decides to play a trick on humanity and takes the earth and spins it in an hour. Instead of 24 hours of spinning, he spun it in an hour. But when you're looking on your watch, it's only going one hour. The hand is only moved from the 12 to the 1. Now, nobody would claim that 24 hours has elapsed just because Hashem decided to spin the earth around in an hour. An hour has elapsed. But the measurement that you generally use to measure a day has occurred in an hour. So we see from here that the measurement of time is not necessarily the same thing as time itself. And therefore, when you're looking at measurement of time, you can actually have an incorrect conclusion of how long things took. For example, 
Some people are very talented at their work. And they get projects. And the manager assumes projects takes a certain amount of time based on his average worker. And therefore, he allocates eight hours of projects for a day, but not actually eight hours of work. Now, this really talented worker completes it in four hours and hands it back in. Now, let's say the worker is working at home and the manager does not know how many hours the worker actually spent. So the manager is going to say, well, that's great. You put in a day's worth of work. I'm going to pay you per hour for eight hours. Yet the worker actually only worked four hours. He just completed an eight-hour shift in four hours. So looking at the measurement of time can often confuse you as to the reality of how much time passed. Okay? Let's say you know the average person runs a marathon in four hours. And you saw somebody run a marathon. He's concluded you've seen one running across the line. And you ask him, well, it must have been four hours since you started. So you must have been running for four hours. But let's say he's a really fast runner and he did it in two hours. Then he's only been running for two hours, not four hours. So what I'm saying here, I just want to make it clear, is that measuring time can give you a very different result than what actually processing time. Now, certain things have been the same way to measure time forever, such as the sun, right? The day where the earth rotates, as far as we can measure it, has been pretty close to 24 hours. I know scientifically it does shift a teeny bit every like 200 million years, but as far as we're concerned in our time, it takes 24 hours. That being said, we do not know what has occurred during the first six days of creation. The, the Ramah and Rukhim says that our tradition is that nature was not set. Also, if you read the Psukim, it's very clear. Hashem's creating a world. So obviously, the way he's doing that is not going to be the exact same way things move now. I'll give you another proof to this idea. We know that we saw the Gemara and Chagigin last episode that said that a day... On the first day, the measurement of a day was created. The measurement of day and night. Rashi said that's 12 hours for day, 12 hours for night. Now, if you think about it, the sun was only in its position on the fourth day. So how did we measure 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night? Must be we weren't using the sun's position to measure it. Which means the sun, di- the earth didn't rotate during in t- one time during the first couple days because it wasn't in position yet. It wasn't in position relative to the sun yet. Well, yet it might have rotated. It, it might have, have rotated, but it was not in position relative to the sun. And therefore, those 24 hours were not measured by what we use to measure 24 hours. Here's the kicker. <laughs> Thank you. I'm ready to kick. Oh, Mati, some of us have complicated theories that take time to give over. I'm saying the seven examples might have been overkill. <laughs> okay. Um, let's say during... The seven periods or six periods of 24 hours, the same 24 hours we have today, a lot more occurred than they do today. What would this allow for? All the fossils actually occurred. They actually lived. They actually lived lives. They actually procreated. Everything in the universe lived billions of years of history, experienced billions of years of changes, yet it occurred in 24 hours, six 24-hour periods. And you might say, how is that possible? Well, pretends things were moving a lot quicker. Everything in the earth was moving quicker because God had a time frame. He didn't want to wait billions of years for Adam to come around. He wanted six days. Why? He wanted to create a week for Shabbos. Who knows why he created six days? The point is, he wanted it six days and he got it done 
in six days. He was a great worker. God is a great builder. He did everything he wanted in six days. Now, a question that might arise is, how is it possible for animals to procreate and have thousands of generations within 24 hours? Life would have to be moving very, very quickly. How would they function in such a quick-moving world? Well, the answer is, is that when everything is moving quickly, then for everybody involved in that system of things that are moving quickly, it is actually moving at a perfectly normal rate. I'll just get, I'll give you a simple example that anybody can understand. Let's say you're on a fast-moving train, right? And you hand some something to somebody, right? You hand them a cup of water. So the distance that your hand has traveled or the speed at which your hand is traveling, giving over that cup is actually incredibly fast. It's the speed of the train plus the speed of your hand moving. But that's relative to people outside of the train. So if they would watch your hand moving in a vacuum without the train and could see your hand moving, flying past them, your hand would be moving incredibly, incredibly fast. Yet when you're on the train, it's not moving fast at all. It looks like a regular transaction of handing over a cup. So too with the creation of the universe. For everybody involved in those high speeds of change, everything looked normal. Their procreation looked normal. Their eating looked normal. Yet everything was incurring at a speed that was fast enough that billions of years of effect could occur within our 24 hours. And that's how you reconcile all the evidence with the first 24-hour Sorry, for the first six days of made up of real 24 hours. So the first question I'd ask him that is that the days... Try me. Let's say day five and six, right? Yeah. So we have the the birds and the, you know, the the fish. Yeah. Yeah. And then the animals coming on day six. Yeah. From a scientific... And according to your theory, on day five, during that 24-hour period, there'd be all the evolutionary chain of the birds and the fish. I don't know, evolution. Let's not get crazy. Whatever. The whatever the, the scientific chain. Yeah. Whatever it is. I yeah. don't care what if science is wrong. Scientific science history. Right. Yeah, yeah. The scientific history. So, well, I guess maybe you just answered the question. But you'd have to be assuming yes, that the birds general... and the fish came before the animals, even though the scientific history suggests that the animals, many of the animals came before the birds. No, they didn't actually. Well, we can get into that later, but... it. Uh, the theory that, that uh, dinosaurs preceded birds is very, very loosely based, and there's a lot of evidence going the other way. Uh, but yeah, I would assume that the general pattern follows follow, – the general pattern of creation follows the scientific pattern, they say the which it does. The theory is so weak you can knock it over with a feather. That's one of the worst jokes I've heard on the show. It's not if you understand the, evolution, the, the proofs for the it's, it's one of the worst jokes I've heard on the show. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Do you have any other questions? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. I have many, in fact. Now, I'm not sure why you went into the whole thing about how if everything's moving fast. You don't have to explain it so naturally because, again, nature wasn't set. So even if it's sped up and it doesn't work, because I'm not sure if you want, you know, I don't know if animals can move. They have to be moving faster than whatever the objective time is. Like, No, no, they don't. It just has to be relative to everything else that's going on. The reason, why, the reason train, why I like doing if it. If you're on a train. Well, let, me, let me explain why I wanted to do this because I want everything to be as natural as possible. I don't want animals flying around, you know. That's just like a shem creating. I want it to be as natural as possible. Okay, but if I'm on a train and I do a yeah. handoff, yeah, right, yeah. Or let's say I toss something to my friend, yeah, and I'm on Earth and I toss something to my friend, yeah. Okay, I have to toss it the same hard, and it'll be going the same speed relative, right? In your theory, it's not just that you'd have to like whip it; your arm would have to be moving faster also. A- everything so that doesn't happen on the train. People what? move the same speed on the train. Things are moving forward faster, no, but that's they're not all moving faster that's at the same rate of the train. Right, so same thing here. 
It's not because you're suggesting that the, in order for the, the animals to have to go through this thing, it's not just like, oh, they're in an earth, which is moving. And therefore, when they're moving faster, that their biology would have to allow them to be moving at speeds of billions of miles an hour. Yeah, because instead, More than of, billions, it's, like, it's, yeah, instead of a train moving, everything would be moving. That, every atom would be moving that quickly. Because there's train. an assumption there. I don't, I, I don't know that I don't have the science to back it up or, or attack it. I'm just saying there is an, a, an assumption there. That the the, the everything the, can move quicker, yeah. That everything can move quicker and still and still be in its its functional state, which I'm not sure is true. Of course, it would because it, it, no, it would be it would be slow relative to everything else, but it would still be way quicker than today. It, the, on the train, your hands are moving slow relative to the train, which is why it looks normal on the train. They're even moving slow on Earth. No, they're not. When I look at the guy, his arm is moving like this. No, it won't. If it's yeah. moving forward, what if it's moving backwards? No, I don't know exactly how the physics work out, but if we're moving forward and you didn't see the train, you'd see a very fast-moving hand. Because, again, just think about it. Just think about it. When he's handing over the cup, look how many miles you're – or let's say the train is moving at a, at a 100 miles an hour, and it took, <laughs> took you an hour to hand over the cup. No, let's say it took you a – well, 60 miles an hour took you a minute to hand over the cup, right? So you'd be going uh, – <laughs> what? what are you talking about? I can't. I don't want to do complicated math. Let's say it took you a minute to hand over the cup. Yeah. Okay. You traversed a mile. In that minute of handing over the cup, your hands must be moving incredibly quickly relative to outside the earth. I don't think you're right, but okay. <laughs> I'm not going to argue on that. Uh, okay. I can't I can't work under these conditions. Can I get a real scientist across here? Everybody knows this to be true. <laughs> okay, then. I, I don't mind. Again, I don't know enough to... This is one of those self-evident truths. You, you know the thing. <laughs> Fine, I'll, I'll I'll accept that. Can we get any real scientists listening to tell Mati that I'm correct in this? Yeah, in we, this can, we can definitely get some responses. Um, either way, I'm just explaining why I don't like the theory. There's a lot of assumptions. Oh, you now. don't like you theory because might be, you don't know the science? Okay. Yeah, you might be right. There's just a few assumptions there. Okay. Um, and then another thing is that it, the tradition is that the world was created, formed, and all the thing, and it was created in its perfect stage, as we saw from the Ram. And that, that doesn't mean over the day it came out that way. It's not like it took 24 hours no, to everything, build these things. No, everything was created was perfectly created. So what's the whole evolutionary process? Hmm? So what's the whole I never pro- said evolutionary process. What's the whole process? What what exactly are you explaining with that? Though? Well, the first animal was created p- perfectly formed. Oh, so it, let's ask it this way. Yeah. What exactly is being sped up? Give me an, like a precise example. Oh, so so let's say animal day. Yeah. Right. So first minute of animal day, Hashem created a horse. Right? That old horse. And then it gave birth and gave birth, and, and, and then it went through generations, and then Hashem cre- decided, I'm going to create another horse. This one's going to be the more modern horse. Created that one and hit a bunch of kids. Why and a bunch of generations. And what's the purpose of those? And, and, okay. Wait, what's the purpose? Of? No, no, I don't even uh, know what the purpose. I don't okay. mean what the purpose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's the difference between the two? You're saying a more perfect horse is being created second? No, a different species of horse. The same thing I would answer to the fossil record is these are different, different species. Different species being created. Yeah. And the reason there's like a history just, is because it's because they actually lived that long before the next one was created. Okay, and what? Give me another example, uh, uh, inanimate object example. Okay, so Hashem created a very basic organism, and that lived whatever its life Hashem wanted to live before He wanted to create the next organism, which is a little more complex. And let's say the rock layers. You you would suggest that those are because that's how long the, those are different rock layers. Those are different life that, that those are different uh, years of, of, of and the stars rock exploding. Collecting. Those like you're, you're saying that these things actually they happened. all happened. Yeah. During the six days. That's the beauty of my shot well, is that it is, all happened. Yeah. But you're like you're you're having the science because you're saying it all happened, but it didn't all happen because the science suggests that there was a point where there was like only one thing. Yeah, there is. Of course, it was a point where there's only one thing. 
So it doesn't say he created a whole, the, 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 none of the Madrashim or the Psukim say that it, again, they don't have to say it exactly, but they seem to be saying otherwise that he created all the animals. Like, it's not like he created one. No, I never said he created it. all the animals in the first instant. He created them over that day. Didn't Who, say, but it seems to be the, the, the Stom. I, I don't see that. I'm just saying why I don't like the show. Okay, I, I, I don't <laughs> see, why I don't see I where don't it said on day, on day five when he created animals that he created every single animal in the first second. He said he created the, the birds and the creepy crawly things. The creepy crawly thing. The creepy crawly <laughs> thing. Okay, so he created creepy crawly things over the morning. What do you, what do you think? I, Shem doesn't need any time to work? He got a, a, a productive morning. I'm sure the audience. What do you mean? You, you see, Adam was created right before Shabbos, right? So it took all the way to the end of the day. Uh, no, the Chetet. So that's before Shabbos. Adam wasn't created at the break of dawn, as they say, you know? Yeah, he was created, yeah. Okay, so you see, Shem was doing things. He was busy. Maybe he got a late start in the morning, but he certainly was pumping out animals. So that's, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. The, the advantage of my shot is, is it's natural. You don't run into these problems. You don't have to get into arguments with anybody. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you have to get an argument with me. Yeah, because you're a terrible. Co-host. Twenty twenty bucks says you try to say this to anybody. They're going to bring in quantum mechanics, and then when you ask them about the quantum mechanics, they're going to say I don't understand. It. Yeah, but all you need is, is I read a book about quantum mechanics, and they go away. <laughs> you mention some phrase they haven't heard, and they go away. I can't say I understand it, but no, I do think there are some scientific assumptions you're making, which I don't think you know for sure. I definitely don't know that they're not true. I'm just saying, you know, right, I, 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 you're assuming, you're assuming that all these things can naturally be moving that fast. I, yes. I don't even know why you're making the assumption it can naturally happen that fast. No, what do you mean naturally? I mean, Hashem's making it that fast. I'm just saying why relative to each other, it's not going to look crazy speed up. Who cares if it looks crazy sped up? That the horse is going to go wild? Yeah, because like, all my, things are too fast. Yeah, in my paradigm, it's a fairly normal world for the animals themselves. I mean... It'll be kind of weird if their lifespan, you know, sped by in an instant. <laughs> that, that, that's just my opinion. Who cares if it's weird for the horse? Yeah, the horse has a life. Peter thought flow. <laughs> what? Peter. Oh, okay. People against. Talking about Peter, our lunch break is almost over, and therefore we have to end this episode. But we gave you two very good answers. The second one was obviously better than the first, but two very solid answers. As to how to reconcile the science and the verses, um, if you have any questions, you know where to reach us at jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com. Also, if you listen this far, please send in which answer you like better. We're taking a little poll to see which uh, which answer is better. So please send in. Also, like us on Facebook and Instagram. It's Facebook. Facebook is probably something else. Don't type that in. <laughs> we don't know what will come up. But... And follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Or if you're not listening, start listening. I'm Jewish Thoughtful, and these past couple minutes have gone off the rail. (laughs) 